Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Night Watch podcast. This is episode number three of season one, and this is where we are going to explore the concept of why do we play with the people that we play. We have Brenda and Pork of Night Watch Games. We also have two special guests with us. Uh, my name is Wes Ascalis. I've been gaming since I was probably about 14 years old, so that's going on 15 years now. And I've been coming to Nightwatch pretty much since they opened, maybe a weekend after. The store actually opened up the day after my birthday, so I feel pretty special that I got this sweet br- birthday present. <laughs> I'm Tom Hankey. I got into gaming high school. I bought a 3.5 D&D Player's Handbook. Uh, I didn't actually play board games or tabletop games until I was deployed in Iraq and I played with a bunch of uh, soldiers and airmen. Uh, And when I got back, I was lucky enough to find Nightwatch. Uh, I started playing board games and RPGs and really got into skirmish games. I think the first thing that I remember about Tom Hankey was he was playing Frostgrave with a couple of other bearded dudes. And I thought (laughs) the veterans from Iraq had invaded and... (laughs) We're doing skirmishing on the board. And and then Wes, I th- you were just omnipresent. Yeah. I can't remember that first day. I probably you? just started. I remember when Tom and uh, his friends were playing Frostgrave. And that's kind of when, around that same time is when I really started playing more games here. I started showing up, was actually through Frostgrave, oddly enough, because we yeah. kicked off that big campaign and we're trying <laughs> to get everybody into it. And only about four of us made it to the end out of like the original 12, but uh, it was good times. I think I tried to start that campaign you did. and I just couldn't yep. finish it. One of the things I want to talk about was um, that group of people that you initially saw me playing with. Because um, those were vets that I played games with in Iraq and Afghanistan. I had known them for years. Uh, they were in my unit or they were attached to my unit. And it was, those were gamer friends of convenience. I was an Intel weenie and that community is really small. So even though there are probably a larger percentage of D&D and magic players and all that in that community, it's still like a really small group of people to kind of choose from. So having a store like this where it's really welcoming and there's a lot of different people here. I've made so many new friends that are so different than the people I knew in the military. Do you find that your gaming group has uh, gotten better or just different? I would say that a lot of these, a lot of the people I met in the store are better. Like I said, like the people that I used to game with in the military, they were friends of necessity. Right. Absolutely. Really be judicious with the people that I gamed with. Right. Um, So especially when I got into RPGs, you know, D and D, um, fate or the dresden files fate games i could be really judicious with the people i played with and in fact one of the first games the first fate game that i played with had a dm and eight players and he ended up splitting that into two four-person groups to play with and i elected to not be in one of those groups because i didn't want to specifically be with some of those people i wanted to be with more positive people like Wes. Wes is in my fate game, my Dresden Files game, because he's a really super cool guy. That's been going on for two and a half years now. Yeah. So that speaks very highly of the composition of the people around the table so that you're getting along. And for a game to last two and a half years means that you've weathered those tensions and you've still come back to the table and you're going strong. So that's kudos to you. Back in the day, in the 80s and the 90s, 
when we would game in our mother's basement, as the stereotype goes, mm-hmm. we would endure almost anybody to come game with us because we didn't think that we had the freedom or the ability to choose. We yeah. had to sort of take whoever showed up because that was it. So it sounds like that was your experience in the army was, I've got to deal with these other guys. That's all I've got. Absolutely. And of course, they're probably a lot more easier to deal with because you're all enduring the same misery of military life anyway. So you have that camaraderie. But then when you get opened up to a widespread demographic, you can now be very selective. Gamers in today's society are wrestling with, and that is their right to be selective. Their right to say, no, I don't want to play with you. I'll play with the other guy, but I won't play with you. We should really empower gamers to make that choice. Maybe the people that don't get played with might learn that their behaviors need to change. And maybe we can make an impact on a grand scale by just being more selective about who we play with. I think we had an experience with this, specifically with Guild Ball. A player was cheating. No one plays with this specific person. They're not going to get any board time. Yeah. And they'll find a new home just by, by feeling it. And it wasn't actually that indirect. We, as the store owners, addressed the issues with that person and said, good luck finding somebody to play with now. You, you don't get away with that. It was a face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's one of the powers of having the community is that you can teach those lessons. Some people, they respond to it in one of two ways. They either respond positively and say, wow, you know, I didn't realize I was doing that, or I'm sorry, it looks like I'm doing that. I'm going to really try to change my appearance and how I behave. Well, and we have had that with Dice Masters. We had a young player that several of us caught cheating. And luckily he was young enough and realized that, hey, this isn't a behavior that people like, and they're not going to want to play with me if I keep doing this. And he has changed since Mm -hmm. then um, and and has formed his own little gaming group that he games with. So there's a soft threshold in which we think that we can change a cheater. And when they're young like that, they're more malleable uh, malleable is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Impressionable. Yep. Thing. But that was hard for us to make that delineation of is this somebody that we just ostracize and kick out of the store because we don't tolerate cheating? Or is there some potential here? Yeah, there's always, I mean, especially with a young, a younger player, because let's face it, they don't understand 100%. Ultimately, it turns out well for the store because either you get a player that now understands or you get a player that feels that, hey, this place isn't for me because they're not going to put up with my bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's the binary result we get mm-hmm. is yeah. either a better customer or a non-customer. Right. And we didn't have that freedom because we were so desperate for anybody. And we would almost allow certain behaviors that don't float. Are you speaking now as a store owner or as just a gamer? As a gamer. Yeah. I, I can think of many of the gaming groups as a young kid that I was enduring that they were horrendous. Yeah. Just <laughs> jerks around the table or... Yeah. or well, might be dramatizing. Well, that. no, because I would oh. I would agree with that, especially I do a lot of role playing games nowadays and I didn't growing up because I found either people were bullies or they had some weird fantasies that they wanted to play out of like behavior that I wouldn't wouldn't ever want to be a part of. If I get to choose who I game with nowadays, um, you can really connect with people who are on your same wavelength. We get to make our own worlds in these role-playing games and it really needs to be filled with people that we are comfortable with and that we can connect with it's a really good point i was gonna there's a whole section online where people post about their horror stories specifically in rpgs you know 
people who are abusive during games, people who ruin games for other people, people who have the complete wrong idea for the group that they're in, or people that hijack groups with their own ideas instead of kind of a cohesive whole. I recently started a horror campaign and I was very specific with the people that I invited. And I started out specifically with, what are you not comfortable with? Because I didn't want to have anyone have a negative experience, even though I'm trying to scare the hell out of them every game. I'm not going to hit on the things that scare them as a person to the point where they wouldn't want to play with me. Right, because there's a difference between fear and trauma, right? Exactly. I do like the fact that you you ask people what their sort of hot buttons are, because mm -hmm. there are people who think that that's too much. And I can totally get that, that being that's being too much, but that goes back to finding people that you are comfortable playing with. You know, there are groups out there who just want to play old school role-playing games. They don't want to be policed. The nice thing is today you can find someone who will fit your certain level of the amount of work that they're willing to do for you. And there's room for everybody in this gaming world other than people with just straight up negative attitudes, right? It's something that we should really be excited about is the fact that we are now liberated from having to join forces with those people that don't mesh with the kind of game that we want. And role-playing games are that medium that I think is most illustrious when it comes to that dynamic because Absolutely. the game itself is supposed to be cooperative and shared storytelling and yep. some risk taking and the fact that you're playing an imaginary personality there's uh, a risk and some trust is needed around the table for all that to be going well do you find that the threshold for the people that you play with is raised or lowered when it comes to other types of games like board games or dice games the shorter the game the less I have to care about the, the person sitting across from me. I find board games to be on sort of the smallest threshold of person I have to get along with because either they're quick or I'm only going to play it with them once. Next is probably a, a, a sort of trading card game because those games you tend to repeat a lot more often and they're predominantly pretty fast. Next would be miniatures games because you have to sit across the table for two to six hours depending on which miniature game you're playing. Also, the sort of hobby aspect, you're uh, interacting with people outside of the game a lot more. And then I would put role-playing games on the top of that pyramid, so to speak, of I have to sit in a room anywhere from three to six hours, maybe even once a week or until the group falls apart <laughs> and basically become that person's friend. There are some people who can play role-playing games with complete strangers, um, sort of like Adventure League style for D&D &D or uh, Pathfinder Society, because it's uh, a little bit more gamified. There's some sort of concrete rewards for participating in those particular events. But if you're, you know, old school D&D &D playing once a week for four to six hours, dude, you even, I got to be able to handle your smell, let alone your personality. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're no longer just gaming buddies like if you're playing once a week four to six hours you are friends and if it goes on for any amount of years they become that type of person that you drop everything for and like drive across texas to go help you know i've told my deepest darkest secrets my my biggest fears it can be really important to form these relations or to to sort of uh vet the the the, the people in that group you can be choosy that's i think I think that's the overall uh, message of what, of what Pork and Brenda are trying to create with this story is sometimes is, is we only get so much time on this earth. We only get so much time to game. You should game with people you like. Yeah. <laughs>
quality people who you can trust that you know, your vulnerabilities that you're about to expose are going to be taken care of and not exploited or turned against you or held against you. So one of the things that Nightwatch Games has done, we're able to build this community where gamers, role players, board gamers, card gamers, they can all now be a lot more selective than they used to be about who's sitting across the table from them. Uh, I'm interested, Brenda, because you're now part of a demographic that's still in the minority. It's almost that you're now enduring what a lot of male gamers were experiencing in the 80s and 90s. And that is you have a limited pool of players. How so? Well, because females are still in the minority of the gaming demographic, if you were looking for female gamers to join up with, you've got a smaller pool than us male gamers. Do you find that that smaller pool is forcing you to lower your standards and accept people at the table? Not at all, because I'm not just looking to women. Okay, all right. Just calling you out on your sexism. (laughs) Well, I don't think that it's sexism. I think you're trying to put yourself in my position and think if I were Brenda, would I be only looking for female gamers? And I think you're also relying on on what you've seen over the last three years, which is that I focus on the female gamers mm. here. But don't misconstrue that as being that I personally feel like I'm limited to only play with females. It's that I'm, I'm trying to encourage females to trust other people and other gamers and to get to know people and start playing games out in an open area that is primarily male-dominated. And once they see that and they're gaming with me, then they're naturally going to start gaming with guys because I game with guys and girls. Now, Pork and I were just talking about something last night that maybe not directly related, but he said that some people like me keep other people at arm's length. It's just my personality. I find myself playing board games more because as Wes was talking about earlier, they're quick, there's less investment. And then if that person is unsavory anyway... It's done. You don't have to ever play with a game with them again. Well, and they'll never know. If I play a board game with someone, they're not going to expect me to sit there and play with them again. Again and again and again. (laughs) Especially. Board games are safe. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And lots of fun. But I don't necessarily (laughs) just go look for women to play with. John Nav, who's one of my gaming buddies, talked about something that's essential for role playing in particular, but probably to a lesser extent, other kind of gaming And that's the idea of trust. Wes, you talked about when you make yourself vulnerable, you are trusting the people around the table, one, not to abuse that knowledge uh, that's in that they have on you now or to, you know, come back later and hold it over your head or something like that. But do you find that gamers as a demographic are trustworthy when it comes to opening yourself up? That's an interesting question. People are more trustworthy in the gaming scene because... It has become more encompassing of different lifestyles and different people. And interestingly enough, I find myself trusting more of older gamers because I used to hang out in some game shops with like older people because that's that's who I could game with. There wasn't a lot of, you know, 14 year old, 15 year old kids running around wanting to play D&D with me at the time. I mean, there may have been in other states or other cities. You don't have access. Yeah. Again, you play with who you can. Yep. And of course, my parents were like, who are these 30 year old men wanting to play <laughs> play games with my with my 15 year old kid? Those people actually helped me understand people uh, at a young age. I got to see insight into other people's lives. And I, I very much appreciated those experiences because we had that common gamer thread.
sometimes being thrown into the viper's pit of a <laughs> of a of you know magic players in the early 2000s oh as a as a Ooh. 15 year old kid and just getting stomped on you learn very quickly who's going to help you out and who's going to not help you out you're making great points though because there's there's two like floors to gaming so one floor is it's got to be fun if it's not fun you don't game right your second floor is like this base level of trust i trust mm-hmm. that when i play a game with you we are both going to follow the rules but that floor actually gets higher the deeper you get into gaming so party games are kind of a whatever thing yeah like, who, who knows you know, the rules to apples to apples 90 percent of the time you're frankly, playing <laughs> who really cares yeah right <laughs> exactly Make it up. that's where fun trumps <laughs> yeah, rules right? right but then as you get like hardcore board games like the real strategic ones, that's a higher level of trust. And then again, with uh, skirmish games and miniature games, where you're both cracking books and looking at tables, like, oh, well, my thing has a four plus and you've got a three and you're like doing calculations. You both have a higher level of trust that both players know the rules. And then it gets even higher for RPGs because of your pretending to be someone else that is, and I think Porik loves this, that it's like a reflection of your inner self. You know, every character you make is going to be a reflection of a different version yeah. of you, more or, or less. Or something you want to be. Or something or, you yeah. want to be. Right. That's why I play Paladins yeah. a lot. Right. But, like, I'm trusting that I can bear that part of my soul to you once a week, once a month, for anywhere between three and I've had, like, 14-hour sessions. Right. So you have to have a certain amount of trust with people. And it's not to say that everyone has that level of trust, which is why you have to be choosy. It's interesting how in role-playing games, you see and you're hearing more of, let's talk about the trust, let's build the relationships, juxtapose that with Magic the Gathering, and it's or any other competitive card game like that. It seems to be all about ego and just stomping and smearing. And we've cultivated a cool community here that are welcoming to each other and careful with each other. But that took a lot of work. Um, Pork and I used to tease before we opened the shop that we were going to have a sign made that said, welcome, but leave your ego at the door. (laughs) And because that is, where do you think, Pork, that ego falls into what we're talking about today, which was why do we play with whom we play? Ego is one of the things that some of us come to the gaming table to fortify. And then we could get psychoanalytic about how is it that we're looking for fortification of our self-identity by gaming. And I think the answer there is it's a social dynamic and it's very easy for people to look to other people to get affirmation. I think that's a very normal social thing to do. And gaming is the facilitator for that affirmation. And whether you win or lose at the game, I think what some of us are really looking for is what is the social energy that happens when I win? And what's the social energy that happens when I lose? And is it affirming just because you lose games all the time that you can't be affirmed? Wes, you talked about. Yeah. I mean, I was actually going to jump in there is I lose (laughs) most, I would say 80%, 90% of my games, but I get affirmed because people like me as an opponent, not because they can beat me, but because I'm not going to make them feel bad for winning most of the time. (laughs) I will say there's certain times that I just. We all tell. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They respect me. They think I'm fun to play with. They get to flex their ability to win 
without feeling like they're just beating, you know, they're not punching mud over here, you know, (laughs) but basically they get to have a good time. I'm very proud to say that people have often chosen to play with me. And, and I don't mean that as like, I was sitting at a table looking sad and they were like, Oh, I better go play with that West guy. (laughs) Otherwise I don't know if he's going to make it through the week. No, it's Uh, because you're a very enjoyable person to just be around in general. One thing I do want to touch on ego wise is that is where the biggest fallouts can come in a game is if somebody doesn't respect someone else's ego. And I don't mean ego in a bad way. I mean, ego in everyone, everyone has an ego of some sort. One of Pork and I's earliest butting of heads during Frostgrave, during while we were all getting to know each other is we just had a clash of egos. Uh, you know, something wasn't going my way. I was responded poorly and Pork responded um, not in a way that I was willing to accept. And we, you know, butted heads and, but we got, we got over it because we recognized that the game and the, we had chosen to play with each other. We had chosen to play that game with each other and we enjoyed playing games with each other. We should learn from this and and move on. And choosing who you play with is somebody who can understand your ego, understand your wants and desires in a game and not necessarily coddle you and and do exactly what you want and dance like a little monkey for you, but to <laughs> to respect you enough to tell you when they've had enough. I think that's a really cool thing about finding someone who you can game with that understands you as a person that um, you chose to game with because of that. Yeah, one of the lessons I learned from that incident was... As you increase the number of people around the table, you're exponentially increasing the risk that you're going to butt heads with somebody because we, we all have egos, we all have goals and fears and we get tired and you know we can get snippy and some things can just go south really we fast. We can get hormonal. Don't forget the girls. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, guys can get hormonal too. Yeah, we do. Yeah, let's we be certainly fair. do. Uh, so the lesson I learned was was don't try to facilitate an eight person frostgrave game. It's <laughs> just not a good it's idea. The worst decision ever. <laughs> Especially with that? new players and yeah. oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, Brendan mentioned Tilt earlier, and that's mm. a, a really real thing, because for me at least, I really only tilt when I'm playing games when I'm in a tournament, because that's a, a like a higher tier, right? Pressure. You're you're under pressure, it's a competitive environment, you're playing with people that you might not normally play well, and with. And I would say your trust level is lower. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, you make a mistake, or your opponent messes one thing up, or your opponent just you know, body slams you and crushes you and you get tilted and then you go into the next game and you're already, your trust is lowered. Even if you knew the opponent, you know, you've played with this person before in the next game, you know, your trust is already, you know, lower than it was when you started because you're tilted. You know, you feel like everything's going to go wrong. You know, it's something that you need to figure out how you can kind of center yourself and bring yourself back to like, I'm playing a game for fun, even if it's competitive. That's probably a whole podcast by itself. I think you're right. You know, yeah. The psychology mm-hmm. of... We should get a sports psychologist uh, in yeah. here. <laughs> Why do we want to win at a game? That's another cool ex- explorative kind of question. Uh, but I think it does come back to ego. I yeah. think there's some investment of ego there and self-identity. And Absolutely. Am I good at this? Do I win or am I a loser? Or how do I lose? Or do I learn from losing? You know, it's complex. Do you think... Do you think that the older we get and hopefully the more mature we get, the less we find ourselves wanting to play those ego-driven, 
highly competitive, high pressure games. And we'd rather just settle into some, some role-playing games or some board games. No, I think that the, the more mature you get, the better you are in controlling how you express that investment of ego in the game. And even if it's really competitive and you're really trying hard and things aren't going your way, I think if you're mature, you just process that in a more healthy way. But we're all on different yeah. spectrums on that. And sometimes like competitive nature is pretty, I mean, even at this table, I would say I am, I wouldn't say I'm not competitive, but I specifically don't go to tournaments because I don't have a desire to, to compete at, at that level. Brenda, where do you think you sit on competitive? Oh, I'm highly competitive. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Extremely. So. Right. The but most also I'm mature and I and able to check my ego right. and have some empathy for sure. the person I'm playing with right. so that when I do completely smear somebody, I let them have a second. Yep. I don't just shove my hand out and say, good game. You yeah. know? And I don't say, Oh man, you stunk at that. You know, but yes, I hate, 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 hate losing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to admit that I was not the best person at being the loser in a game for quite a long time. Uh, I did several tournaments at the store where I actually stepped outside, you know, because I got tilted or, you know, I let my ego get in the way or I just responded badly. I've had to curb my own reactions as I matured and got older but do you and got think wiser. That, do you think that you've, do you find was this environment more conducive to learning how to control your ego than like, say when you were gaming in the military or prior to that. Yeah. Gaming in the military was always really competitive. Right. Even, even playing an RPG, we were always trying to, you know, outdo each other in either the role playing or the actual rolling of the dice. But I never really had like a safe space to play right before here. So I, I can't really say whether or not crowd that you, that Brenda and pork have cultivated here is really a part of that or if it's just me getting older. Right. I actually know what it is. I can answer this for you. (laughs) You know how most game stores have plastic tables and plastic chairs? (laughs) Well, ours are heavy wooden, so you can't flip them. We're into the ad part of the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) No table flipping. Brought to you by 500 pounds. Yeah, all all our tables were handmade. This space has made it much easier for me to self-examine, mainly because I care about the people I game with here. If I didn't care about these people that I game with here, I, why, why would I self-reflect? Why would I try to get better? Why would I do anything other than self-fulfill my own needs and act however I want to act? And some people do that, but I think if you're going to cultivate a meaningful relationship in a gaming setting, you need to self-examine. This space has cultivated such good relationships for me that I was able to make myself more attractive in a sort of gaming setting because I, I was able to absorb other people's wants and needs in a game to coexist. I think change is fine too. I mean, we're always changing. People are always changing. It's part of the life's cycle. Right. You know, when you concede to be something that you're actually not for the sake of other people, you don't have to do that. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're doing when you change. Part of the thing about this, this store is that we have these people that you're willing to socialize with. If you want to just play a game, like if I just wanted to play magic, 
I could just play that online. There's a yep. a computer version of it There's now. Two now. I don't need to buy yeah. <laughs> cards at all, you know. But if I actually wanted to socialize with people, I have to, you know, physically come to this store. And I think that's a big part of gaming, at least for the people that come to the store, is that they want to socialize beyond typing keys on a keyboard or shooting someone in the head in a video game. Like right. you want to be with people physically let's get into that because yeah. i think that's the crux of why we play with the people we sure you say that we want to socialize and i think it's related to the ego and investment and trust that we were alluding to before what what's the root of that socialization that we're chasing what do you think that is when you sit down at a table and you're playing a game and you're like i just feel like i want to socialize what does that mean? So one of the things I notice in all the RPGs that I play is it'll be maybe 70, 50 to 70% like actually role playing, rolling the dice, you know, acting out our characters and 30 to 50% just talking to, to each other. And that's, that's because we have that high level of trust with each other because we've spent a lot of time with each other and we can sit down and talk about anything that comes up uh, beyond just playing the game. That's not something that you'll get with Pathfinder Society or Adventure League. Acceptance. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. it. I think that's actually the key word as I'm thinking about it is we socialize probably for a couple of reasons. Uh, two of them might be, one, to feel understood. Yeah. So that when you express a feeling, you get nods of understanding across the table and you feel uh, verified, right? You know, like cha-ching, you're approved. Yep. You're allowed to Wes feel that. And I are both nodding. Yep. <laughs> um, the second thing is, not only are you understood, but you're accepted regardless of what that opinion or feeling was that you're expressing, and you feel probably a primordial safety. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. I was gonna bring up the, like the whole human humans as a tribe t sort of thing. That's, yeah. you know, something in our DNA. Yeah. Do you want Maslow's to bring up the laws. hierarchy of needs? <laughs> That's as right. Well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Feeling uh, safe, feeling accepted and, and community. Uh, and I think that that's probably the crux of why we play with the people that we play is because we've, we've fostered those relationships where we feel understood and we feel accepted. And the game itself seems so secondary to all that. It can It's be. just a medium. Yeah. yeah. I think about games that I've played with people and I have a hard time recalling the game, but I vividly, vividly remember the people. Yeah. Well, I mean, several times you and I have played a game, Porik, where we played the game, we finished the game, and then we sat there for the next three hours and just <laughs> talked to each other. That's right. Yeah. Just you a, know, and that's a tinderbox on the campfire. Yeah. Here, yeah. It wasn't necessarily about the game. It was the time we spent together. Yeah. Right. yeah. I will play games with, Gus Anger all the time, even though he beats the tar out of me yeah. every single time, because he's he's just very very good at at the inner workings of games. But I don't mind losing to him because it's still fun, even though I'm like a mid tier competitive person right. and I want to win. The effort that I put into it is what makes it fun. Being there with him and and talking about other stuff while we're gaming is what makes it fun. There are a majority of the people who are regulars here have stayed, you know, one or two, three, four or five hours after closing. Yeah. Not playing a game. There have been times that I've shown up to the store, stayed from 12 to 12, played maybe one game. 
played no games just to hang out with these people around me that on a surface level share a common interest. I can talk to almost anyone in this store, even if I've never met them and be like, oh, cool. You play that game. I play that game, too. But that story or that that conversation is very hollow and sort of small talky, almost like water cooler level surface level. Right. Yeah. But. After that conversation, I can walk over to Tom and be like, hey, how's how's your kids? How's your wife? What I find interesting is not that you would ask Tom about his wife or kids, but that Tom would trust you with a truthful answer. Right. And if things were not going well, you would hear about it. Right. Because he's looking to you with the exact same kind of trust. I, I knew that this would sort of open up Pandora's box into psychology and sociology. I think a lot of the listeners probably would relate to the experiences that we have about trying to find gaming groups and the success and failures of that. So let me switch gears on you a little bit. Yep. Is there strategies that you guys could articulate that let people find your tribe? How do you find your gaming group? Is it really just shooting in the dark and keep shooting until you hit what you need? Or is there a strategy to it? It is kind of shooting in the dark sometimes because you don't necessarily know what you need. You might want a certain thing. I played X-Wing a lot. and I don't play it as much anymore because the people, they don't want the same thing out of the game that I want. I, I want a less competitive, more casual and like I threw this thing together, more narrative, more type, narrative type, beep, type beep, of game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I want to make little, you know, Star Wars laser noises when I'm shooting my TIE fighter guns or whatever. Yeah. And same thing with RPGs. You know, I played 3.5 D&D and Pathfinder, and those are both very number crunchy games. And that was fine for a while until I realized I really want to tell stories more than I want to roll dice and add numbers together to make a story more or less. And I found a group that did that. And that was honestly a shot in the dark. Yeah. We barely knew each other at that. Exactly. Point. Yeah. At the yeah. very start. It was... Do you find though that certain people gravitate to certain types of games and that absolutely let's say that you're very aware and you're looking for that trust and empathy and acceptance and the affirming element you don't go into competitive magic right. looking for that right. kind Probably of thing. Not. Probably not, right? Yeah. right? You would have to be aware of what it is that you're looking for from your gaming. And some of us look for it as a very uh, psychological need and we have uh, access to people that can do that for us. But some people, especially non-gamers that are being converted into gamers, and this yeah. is like the first time doing these kind of things, they're probably looking for something a little different. Uh, right. I'm looking for excitement. I'm looking for laughter. I'm looking for the joy of discovery and chance taking and, and some of those basic gaming ideas. It seems like those people are all the ones that are shocked that we don't sell alcohol here. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. You know, because that, that just That's goes true. right along with that, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I think for them, yes it's, it's a, an icebreaker and they're, and, or it's their only experience with games like party games. I would totally agree with you, except yeah. I have a very vivid memory of me playing Magic in Ireland. <laughs> oh, and I was in a, a pub, literally, and everyone's playing competitive magic. It happened to be a very high-level competitive event. And everybody had a... Pint of Guinness. pint of Guinness <laughs> on the table. And by round three, they were all schnockered. They were just having the greatest time, laughing. And the Guinness was all gone. 
And uh, I was the only sober one in the room, so I was actually winning the tournament. Yeah, I was like, is that how you got your... your <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the only way I won the tournament. But I don't think I was the one that had the most fun. Uh, they were having a great time. So maybe it's a cultural thing. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say so, especially in European countries where drinking is much more social and less about getting drunk and more of a communal thing. And But back sort of to that whole, is it a shot in the dark or is it, can you organize yourself to find people that you want to play with? I would largely say at the very beginning, it's going to be a shot in the dark. You, yeah. Especially if you're new to gaming, just go sit at a gaming store, open yourself up, play a game every once in a while. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to make friends with everybody. And if you're new to gaming and that makes you feel a little bit hopeless yeah. <laughs> to hear that it's a shot in the dark, um, the good news is that there are stores out there right. that have created programs and tools for you to use. And we have as well. And one of those tools is a program that we run called the GM's Watch. And it is where we hire veteran GMs to put on high quality one shots of role playing games. Yes, you have to buy a ticket to it, but it's going to put you in a high quality trust setting because the people that are giving the game have been vetted. Yep. And the people that attend the the games also technically get vetted because if they misbehave, they don't get to come back. Um, and they're paying for it. And they're paying right. for it, which shows a little bit of an investment on their part. Another tool is a good old fashioned players board that we have here in the store. Just to imagine an old pegboard hanging up in the back. And we offer paper and pen, and you can write a post saying looking for players or looking for a GM. Uh, And then the third tool is on social media, on Facebook. We have, of course, we have our own business page where we post news and events, but then there's your page, and it's called Night Watchers. So if you're a customer of Night Watch Games, you're a Night Watcher, and you can post there saying that you're looking for a gaming group. And it's much safer to meet and interview people here in a public space absolutely. than to inviting them to your home and risking that after two or three times, you don't want this person knowing where you live. Right. They might eat you. Myself and two friends came here to Nightwatch. It was one of the first times we'd been here because a friend of ours had Kingdom Death Monster mm. and he wanted to play with a bunch of people. Well, turns out Kingdom Death Monster only supports four people, or it only supported that <laughs> despite at the time. it costing what six hundred dollars, eight hundred, whatever, <laughs> however much it costs. And we were the two extras, oh, so no. we're like, "Well, I guess we're just gonna look around the store." We found Frostgrave at random, and thought, "Well, this looks pretty cool." We bought the book and we started playing, and yeah. that's that was like the start of my gaming career here at the store, my tabletop gaming career at the store. Um, but, so yeah. that was. Right. Kind of a shot in the dark, but with the game instead of the group. Right. Well, but then you went after you took a shot in the dark. There's a sort of getting at some steps here is yeah. you, you take a shot in the dark. If that pans out, great. If it doesn't start showing up to relevant events that interest you, if those don't pan out for you or if you want something similar, but it's not offered, I would say get with somebody like Brenda or Porik and organize a relevant event. Now that requires a little bit more work on your part, but I think it's worth it in the end. I mean, I've, I've been part of the GM's watch and I found some really good players that I, I played with for a long time. I don't play with them currently, but I will play with them in the, in future days. And that really sort of helped me 
get my role-playing game obsession <laughs> off to a, a start is you gotta get that, that fixed. Was, yeah right i was always i was always interested in role-playing games but it's super hard to find a group that can meet consistently and i'm no i know we'll get to that question of, of how you how do you maintain play groups but um shot in the dark if that doesn't work or if you want a little bit more support show up to relevant events especially reach out to game store owners that have events and programs like Nightwatch does. I think that's one of the best things Nightwatch does is really build a community and support that community. And then uh, a big thing that I always hear Pork and Brenda say is somebody has to be actually, this was said in the last podcast is somebody has to be that Vanguard. Somebody has to organize a game that can be you. That can be someone like, say you want to cultivate a competitive group of skirmish playing of, of skirmish players. I think that happened with guild ball. I think people really wanted high competition in a skirmish format and guild ball happened to be the game um, because it has a real nice tight set of rules, but we just started showing up more often and building that community and thus created that close knit friend group of certain people in that community. A big thing. If you start to organize your own events, I would say is to evaluate your opponents and understand what you like about them, what you don't like about them. If you play someone and they're very competitive and that's something you want, cultivate more people like them, cultivate their friend groups. You know, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but like it really isn't though. Well, it is, it doesn't feel like it at the end of the day. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it comes naturally as a social creature, as a human being. Right. Um, and if you're not super social, it can be a little hard, I am an introvert. It right. took me a long time to actually be an extroverted gamer, even though I'm introverted. Right. And I would I would say the same thing about me, but a lot of things like um, GM's Watch or in the early days, I mean, I know they're still around, but the little flag system that you guys have um, was a cool idea to me. And while I, I probably only used it once or twice, the idea of setting out a game, setting it all up and being like, hey, you random person. In a safe space like a game store. Like this game store. Right. Well, especially mm-hmm. this game store. You can you can get away with something like that. You can... Well, and isn't the idea that there is a flag system right. already the icebreaker? Right. You're like, okay, they have a flag system. Right. Exactly. So if I see a flag, I know I can go sit down and they're not going to ostracize me or say, Absolutely. why are you sitting with us? Yeah. You know, it's going to be like, <laughs> hey, great, more the merrier. Absolutely. So just by virtue of having the flag system... Right. I think that is an icebreaker in itself. Uh, One of the interesting things during our conversation was that we started talking about why do we play where we play? And that's actually going to be podcast number four in season one. Uh, But you got a taste of sort of how the people that you play with are almost intrinsically linked with where they play. And there's, that's the community of different stores and different stores have different communities and they each offer a sort of a different flavor of ice cream as, who was it? I think that was Gus that said that. Yeah. That, <laughs> yep. that you know, sometimes like, yeah. you like vanilla ice cream and sometimes you like pistachio and you don't find those flavors of ice cream in the same place. You have to go to a different place. And we are certainly very supportive of gamers playing where they want to play because we think it's very, very important that you should be playing with the people that you feel safe and accepted and understood and I think that's really the the discovery that we made tonight is that we play with people for very basic psychological and social needs, 
And gaming is a very important tool that people can use to satisfy those needs. So would we say that if you're playing with someone who is toxic and hurts your feelings constantly and is not good for you, kick them to the curb? I do. I, yeah. I almost don't give them a second chance because, uh, as Wes said, it's life is short. There's plenty of other gamers out there to choose from. And even if you kick this person to the curb and maybe you were wrong in your reaction to it, they're going to find a new group as well. No one's this isolated person that is left drifting in the sea of humanity by themselves. There's tons of us out there and they're going to latch on to another group and Hopefully everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. So the moral of the story is be a nice person, exercise your empathy, <laughs> yeah. exercise your maturity, and be somebody that you would like to play with. Absolutely. Actually, before I sign off, I do want to have Tom showcase a talent of his. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is going to be a funny thing. He can imitate a certain person, and I'm not going to say who Look, that person is. I can imitate is. a lot of people. I've got <laughs> oh, a great voice. Oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> and I found that if I just lower my voice... An octave. <laughs> I can sound exactly like Gus. Wow, I feel like I'm losing I mean, like, a guild ball already. I mean, like, look, you only lose a guild ball because <laughs> you don't have the heart of the card. All right, so this is Wes, Thomas, Porik, and Brenda of Nightwatch Games signing off for podcast number three of season one, Why Do We Play With Who We Play. Uh, stay tuned for our last episode of season one, which is Why Do We Play Where We Play. Adventure awaits. Adventure awaits.